Think about those words, so will I. And that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about tonight. So will I. What will our lives look like as we worship Jesus? Are we willing to follow? Are we willing to love? Are we willing to live our lives like Jesus does? I hope at the end we can stand here still and say, so will I. I'm going to um, do something slightly different tonight. So for those of you who were here last week, you remember I talked about the idea of personal training and how you have to make people hurt. You actually have to make people's muscles sore in order for them to get stronger. You have to make people's muscles sore in order to get better. And the same is true spiritually. So I thought I'd tell you a little story about Thursday morning. Thursday morning I was at the gym and I thought to myself, I had a great idea. I thought, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to mix kettlebells with medicine balls. And we're going to use both of those to focus on the same area of the body. And it's going to be a great idea. Things are going to be wonderful. And I was going to do it on Thursday night with the group of people who do boot camp. But they get really mad when I experiment on them. So I thought I'd better experiment on myself first. So it was a great idea, except for the fact that I wasn't quite prepared for how sore I was going to be for about the next three days. I've spent the last three days walking around like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Can't move my arms forward at all. We had a real estate agent come to my house and he knocked on the door and puts his hand out to shake my hand. And I just went, hi. <laughs> my sister looked at me and she's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I cannot move my arms forward. <laughs> That's how much pain I was in. And the reason I'm telling you this tonight is because I'm going to ask you guys to think about something and make a decision for me. Because this morning as I was walking around thinking about my sermon, like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, I realized that there was two distinct paths that I could take with what I was going to share tonight. And one's a bit easier. It's a bit nicer. It's probably going to make us feel a bit good. And the other one's going to make us feel a bit like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And so I want you guys to choose. I want you guys to tell me which one do you want to hear. Do you want to hear the one that's nice, that's easy to, do, to digest? It's still good, I promise. I still think it's anointed by God. Or do you want to listen to one that might make you feel a bit sore for a few days? So tell me. Yeah. Make us sore? All right. Be careful what you wish for. So last week I also said that God was like Jonathan Thurston, who's a football player. And some people had a problem with that, but that's okay. Well, tonight I'm going to go a little further. I'm going to tell you that God is like a hippopotamus. And I'm going to tell you the same thing if you've got a problem with that. Just hang with me for a moment. I promise it will make sense down the track. So what do we know about hippos? Did you guys know that hippos are like the world's deadliest animal or something like that? Everyone knows that? Wow, okay, I didn't. I thought they were just like big giant cows that smile all the time. They're not smiling, just so you know. Did you know in Africa, the hippos live in the same waterways as uh, the African crocodile, which again is another supreme predator. And they live in the same water holes and they live side by side and most of the time there's no real issues in these two predators living next to each other. And the reason they can do that is because the crocodiles know not to attack the hippos because the hippos will smush them. The crocodiles won't even attack the baby hippos. The crocodiles are stronger and smarter and could easily eat the baby hippos and have a very nice feed, but they won't attack them. Do you know why? Because they're scared of what their hippo mums will do to them. 
And I love that because sometimes in my life I feel like a hippo mum. Sometimes I just feel like a hippo, but a hippo mum sometimes, right? I don't have kids or anything, but sometimes I feel like I get this protection thing that happens. A few years ago, I came into my house carrying a big armful of groceries. I'd probably done was doing something for youth ministry. And as I walked into my house, I looked over my shoulder and on the couch was sitting my niece and her boyfriend, Ned. She was about 15 or 16. She was living with us at that stage. And as I rounded the couch with my armfuls of groceries, very distracted, I walked into the kitchen, I look over my shoulder and I see that she has what looks like a massive black eye. And I didn't really think too much of it. She's very accident prone and gumby. So I was like, oh, what's she done now? And I call out, hey, Tay, what happened? And her sweet little voice calls back to me. She says, Mandy, Ned did it to me. So (laughs) I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I just put my groceries down on the bench and I turned around and I made eye contact with Ned, who was sitting on the couch. I don't know what I was going to say. I don't know what I was planning to do. I do know I was fairly unimpressed, so I can only imagine the look was on my face. Now, before I could do anything, my niece comes running up to me and she's like, ha ha, you're so stupid. When she got close, she could see it was makeup. She'd done it for a school play. And so we had a conversation about what is an appropriate joke and what's not an appropriate joke. But you know, she talked, uh, Ned actually talked about that day for about a year afterwards. He said things like, that was the worst day of my life. He said things like, I have never been so terrified before. He said things like, I remember this, it was on Christmas Day. He said, Mandy, on that day, our relationship changed and it can never go back. I was like, I didn't even do anything. Yeah. But that was me being a hippo mum. On that day, I actually quite liked Ned, right? He was a good kid, yeah? But on that day, when I thought he had hurt my niece, it didn't matter if I liked him. It didn't matter if he was a good guy or not. When I thought he had hurt her, all bets were off. And do you know what I have to tell you? I think God is a bit like a hippo mum like that. He's not looking to smush us, thank goodness, but he does care about how we treat other people. He does care about how we treat his kids. I want you to think about it. Jesus up on that cross. He allowed them to get metal spikes and drive them into his hands and feet. Can you imagine the agony of that? That's how much he cared. He hung on that cross for hours. He effectively drowned in his own blood. He suffocated. That was after being tortured. He had the flesh ripped off his bones. Think about that. That's how much he cared. He left heaven. He came to earth. And when he was here, he hung around with people who were ostracized, people who were sick, people who were uneducated, people who were treated badly, women who were prostitutes. Those were the people he spent his time around. That's how much he cared. And when I say Jesus cared about people, what I actually mean was he cared for them. Think about that. When I say he cared for them, I mean that he met their tangible needs. It wasn't just the, oh, love of God on you, distance. It was him getting in the dirt with them. It was him getting real with them. Think about the first miracle, probably one of the best. I know there's no rating system, but anyway. What happened? He's at a wedding. They run out of wine. So what does he do? He stands there and he says, yes, I love you from a distance. No. He made wine. He met their tangible need. 
Think about last week we talked a little bit about the feeding the 5,000. Jesus goes into the wilderness. 5,000 men follow him, women and children as well. They're hungry because no one brought food. So what did he do? He fed them. And this is how he asks us to live our lives too. He asks us to meet the tangible needs of people around us. We're going to read a Bible passage. Josh, if you can chuck it up there for me. It's this one. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. But the Son of Man, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, you cared for me. I was in prison, you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. And then he talks to the people on the left and he says, when you chose not to do this, you were choosing not to do these things to me. Jesus takes how we treat people personally. I think sometimes as Christians, we forget about the tangible stuff. We forget that we actually need to get in there and get our hands dirty and actually do something. I found this picture, the dog and the cat, Josh. You might not be able to see that very well. (laughs) I love this picture. It's really sweet. It reminds me of my dog. He had to wear a cone on his head for a year after his third eyeball fell out. But it says this. It says, when someone is going through a rough time, just sit with them. No preaching, no advice, just be there. That's very sweet. Yeah, we should be there with people. But if we want to be Christians, if we want to be like Jesus, we actually need to do something. And there are tangible needs that we can meet really easily. Think about the loner kid at school who doesn't have any friends. It's a bit weird, probably smells a bit. What is the tangible need of that kid? They need someone to talk to them, someone to invite them into a friendship. What about when we go into our groceries and there's an older person who's going to get their groceries and struggling to get them to the car? What do they need from us? They need us to be willing to give up two minutes of our time and use our able bodies to help them. What about our pastoral team? Let's make it real. They're in here working their their butts off for us. What do we need? What do they need from us? They need us to get on board, to get behind them, to jump on board with the vision They need for us to give them a break when they do what we don't like. I smile at that because I'm not very good at that. Our teachers, or what about our work colleagues, our bosses? They're all working their butts off. They're so busy. We all are, right? What do they need? Well, they probably need extra hours in the day. But what would it say to them if we bought them a cup of tea or coffee and we said, we see you. We see how hard you're working. Thank you. 
I think we're sold a lie that this is the little stuff that doesn't really matter, that this is not real mission, that this is not real ministry, and it's a lie. This is the real stuff that matters. God would not have placed you in your school, in your job, in your family, I know that hurts, if he didn't want you to witness, if he didn't want you to actually love first the way Jesus did, to get in there, to get your hands dirty, to actually be tangible in showing that we're Christian. Last year, I went to Indonesia and I went with this group of people. And when we were coming back from Indonesia, we stayed for a few nights in Singapore. And in Singapore, a few of us, including me, got a little bit sick. And one night I was laying in bed. I think the right term to use is probably dead to the world. (laughs) And one of our little ladies, Jose, came in and woke me up. She wasn't feeling very well. And as she woke me up, and I'm dead to the world, she looks at me and she says, Mandy, I vomited. Now, I don't think I even opened my eyes at this point in time. I just like, laid my arm out and patted her on the leg. And I said, oh, that's no good, Joss. I said, go and wash your mouth out. Wash your face. Get yourself a drink of water and go back to bed. And she looked at me slightly confused and she said, but Mandy, I vomited in my bed. Now, I won't tell you what I said because I gave up swearing earlier this year. <laughs> but do you know what I did in that moment? I lifted up the blanket and I said, get in. (laughs) I shared my bed with her. You see, I'd missed in our interaction that she needed something from me. She didn't need me to just sit with her in her sickness. She didn't need me to just know what was going on for her. She needed a place to sleep. Do you know what I didn't do? I didn't berate her for her life decisions. (laughs) I didn't say, why did you spew in your bed and not in the toilet? Why did you? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I didn't say to her, you have to clean yourself up before you can get in bed with me. I didn't say to her, you need to earn your spot here. I just gave her what I had. Because that's what Jesus asks us to do, to love first. His message on the cross is love first. The way he conducted himself was love first. Think about the story of the woman at the well. This is the lady that's had many husbands, is now living with someone she probably shouldn't be. What does Jesus say to her? He didn't say, go and clean yourself up, go and get your life right, and then come back and I'll give you living water. The living water was first. Think about the bleeding woman and that miracle. What happened? This woman who's ostracized goes up and touches Jesus in a crowd. Massive no-no. Culturally back then, massive no-no. Bit of a no-no now, really. And what happened when that happened? She was instantly healed, but what did Jesus do? Luke chapter 8 tells us that this was his exact response to her. His first word to that woman was daughter. Think about what that says. That says beloved, loved. That says mine, cherished. That says chosen. That was what he said to her first, love. And then he said, your faith has healed you, go in peace or have shalom. This is how Jesus interacted. He loved first and he wants us as his followers to love first. 
I think if we're going to spend some time thinking about how Jesus acted and who he spent his time around, we also have to think about the times that he stood up against something. And so I'm going to get us to look at Matthew chapter 9. And it's verses 10 to 13. This is what it says. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices, for I have, come, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus didn't like it when people thought they were righteous because of how they acted. He didn't like it when the Pharisees thought they were better than the scum, their words, not mine, that Jesus was hanging around with. He didn't like that attitude in them, And he doesn't like that attitude in us. And I wonder if we're going to get real, because we're going to make it hurt a little bit. Do we ever think this way? Do we ever think we're better than other people? That smelly kid at school, do we ever think we're better than them? The person at our work who doesn't do what we think they should be doing, Do we think they're better than them? Do you ever catch yourself going, if I was in that position, I would never do that. Maybe none of you do that. Maybe I'm up here preaching to myself. But I'm telling you, I don't think Jesus likes that. The other thing we learn from this scripture is that Jesus doesn't like meaningful, meaningless sacrifices. Now, we can blow that off because we go, oh, we don't really offer sacrifices now, right? That's not the truth. If we're Christian, we do offer sacrifices. We should be. Think about last week when I talked about God being in charge, Jesus being the playmaker, him making the decisions in your life. That's an offering. That's a sacrifice. Think about when we give money to charities or we give money to the homeless guy who gets a Kupak shop or we give money to church. I know we don't talk about that, but that's a sacrifice. Think about the time we invest into a ministry. That's a sacrifice. Think about the time from when we come to church. That's a sacrifice. Think about when we come in here and we sing praises to God like we've just done. That's a sacrifice. And Jesus is clearly saying here he doesn't like it when we make it meaningless. And we make it meaningless when we forget to love first. Because remember, that's the message of the cross, love first. So when we're investing our time, our hours into a ministry, are we doing it out of love? When we're giving money, are we doing that out of love? When we're spending time with people here at church, are we doing that out of love? Because when we're not, then it is meaningless. And Jesus doesn't like that. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the service here. I love what we do. I think when we come and sing together and listen to teaching together, that amazing things happen. The chains are broken, yeah? But Jesus never commanded us to come to church. He never commanded us to be part of a flashy service. 
He never commanded us to have a full band. He never commanded us to go to Bible study. When he was asked what is the most important commandment, he said, love God and because of that, love others. Love first. One of the clearest examples of Jesus getting very upset is in John 2, and we're going to read that. It's verses 13 to 16. It says this. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Celebration. (laughs) So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some rope and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Let's get some context about this, because you could jump to the conclusion that Jesus doesn't like business, he doesn't like markets, he doesn't like people who make money. You could jump to the conclusion that Jesus was vegan, he didn't like animal sacrifices, all these things you could jump to. I don't think they're right. Part of this is about Jesus' own words, where he didn't like that they were defiling the sanctity of the temple. But you know, I believe it wasn't their actions that did that. It was their attitudes. Let's think a little bit, we'll start at the end, the doves. Back in this day, people brought doves as sacrifices when they were poor. It meant it was a way of including people who didn't have money in the community, allowing people who were poor to enter the temple, allowing people who were poor to come and to engage with God. Jesus' own parents, when he was born, went and offered two turtle doves as a sacrifice at the temple. Yeah? That was because they were poor. And there were people in this marketplace selling the doves. The reason that the doves were what was offered is that they should have been readily available to anyone. So like in Australia, we go to the beach and there's seagulls. Or you travel through Europe and you go to the marketplaces and the cathedrals and there's pigeons everywhere and pigeon poo everywhere. It should have been like that. They should have been readily available. Anyone could access them. So the poor people were included. These people in this market were selling that. Can you see that there was a barrier put up for poor people? That they were excluded from the community? That they were being, that they were being excluded from relationship with God, from engaging with God. The foreign exchange, yeah? It's no different than our foreign exchange market now, right? You swap coins for a fee. They take this foreign money and turn it into whatever money for a fee. Can you see what was happening here was that the foreigners were not able to access the temple, the community, unless they paid that fee. So again, there was another barrier being set up. It was making it more difficult for foreigners to come. The larger animals. People needed to sacrifice cattle, sheep, goats in order to be able to engage with God, in order to be part of the community, in order to be able to enter the temple. And there were people in the marketplace selling that. Think about this. Jesus on the cross, free gift, love to everyone, is confronted 
with people who are selling access to God. Can you see why he might have not liked that very much? And the thing he was upset about was about people being excluded. And I wonder if we're going to get real. Do we ever think we exclude people? Let's start here tonight. Do we exclude people in this environment? What about the person who comes who doesn't know any of our worship songs, who's never been to church before, doesn't know what we're doing? Can you see that that's, we could be inadvertently excluding them? What about the new person who comes and sits in church and we choose not to talk to them, we instead talk to our friends? Can you see that they're being excluded? What about the person who acts a bit strange or the person who has mental health problems? Yeah? Can you see when we don't love them the way Jesus does that they could be excluded in this environment? And I'm not saying we're doing that on purpose, guys. This week on Tuesday night, I sat with a group of leaders and I invited someone to pray for us, a young man. And he said, Mandy, I can't do it. And I said, yes, you can. And he said, no, 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 I can't. I can't pray. I can't, I can't do that. And when I asked him why, he was saying he didn't want to get it wrong. He didn't want to say the wrong thing. So I made him pray anyway. But the next day I'm chuckling about it to myself thinking, how funny that he thinks he can pray wrong. We're just talking to God, right? We're just talking to our ever-loving Jesus. You can't get that wrong. And as I'm giggling about ha, 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 how funny that is, I realized something that made me stop laughing mid-giggle. Because I thought to myself, I wonder where he got that idea. I wonder who taught him that. And then I realized the answer was me. I had taught him that he needed to be able to say things in a particular way, to have a certain style of language, to have a certain vocabulary in order to talk to God. He had been excluded. And I met with him later in the week and I said, can I share this story? And these were his exact words. He said, Mandy, you don't understand. He said, every time I hear someone pray, they talk up here and I can't do that. Can you see he's been excluded? And I'm not saying anyone, including myself, would have ever done that on purpose. But that's the outcome. And I don't think that is what Jesus wants from us, his church, his community. I think he wants us to be getting out there and loving others, loving first, just the way that he did. Including all people, making all people feel welcome. I've told stories about why this can go wrong. How about I tell a story about how this can go right? Would that make us feel good? Sorry. Is it hurting yet? Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in our senior youth ministry. We call it Merge. And I said to our crew, I said, what makes you come here of a Tuesday night? I was basically asking the question, surely as 17, 18, 19-year-olds, you have something better to do of a Tuesday night than come and hanging out with us youth leaders at the youth pastor's house. I'm thinking to myself, if I remember being 18 or 19 accurately, I wasn't hanging out at the youth pastor's house. I probably should have been, but I wasn't, yeah? So I wanted to know what makes them come along. And one of our young guys says to me, Mandy, you're so stupid. And I said, oh, thanks. I, I like it that you have an opinion. He said, no, it's, that's a really hard question to answer. And I said, well, why is it hard? And he said, well, it's like asking me, why do I go home after work when I've finished work? He said, it's just what you do. He said, it's just like that. He said, it's like going home. 
He said, it's like going where I know I belong. He said, it's like, his exact words, it's like going where I know I'm supposed to be. This is a young man that has no connection to church, no connection to God as far as I'm aware, and we've loved him, we've fed him, we've made him feel welcome, and he's come to realise that hanging around with a bunch of Christians is where he belongs. Can you see why it's important to get this stuff right? To love first? And it doesn't have to be big deal stuff. It can just be the everyday. You guys know I love to study human behaviour and I'm a social worker and I love studying societal patterns and whatever. The new research suggests that the current group of young people young adults, people under 25, will enter their adult years with the least number of real connections to real people than any other generation that has gone before them. Now, I know you're thinking that can't be right. They're on their phones. They can talk to anyone in the world at any given point in time. They have Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Messenger chat and Backchat and all the other chats. Who knows what they're doing? Yeah? What they've found is that our young people have replaced real connections, real relationships, face-to-face reality with that. Can you see when you think about it that there's a group of young people who are being raised up desperate for real connection? I see that every day at the school that I work with. Groups of young people who just want someone to engage with them. They just want someone to care. Can you see if we are church, not the service, but church, we can meet that need in them more than anyone else in society? I would go so far to say that we are raising up a generation of young people who are desperate for church. Not the service, but church. And if we get that right, the fruit that could happen could be astronomical. But we have to remember to love first. And I wonder if we're willing to do that. I wonder if we're willing to actually get out there, to get our hands dirty, to get in the dirt of our everyday life. I wonder if we're willing to actually think about our school, our workplace, our family, our soccer team, our whatever we do as mission. I wonder if we're actually willing to put on God-coloured glasses and see the opportunities that he might offer us. Because I would love to come here next week and have a truckload of people running up the front during Andy's open mic time saying, I got to love this person by doing this. I got to love this person by doing this. I bought this person a coffee. I said hello to this person who never speaks to anyone. I repaired a relationship with someone who I had a falling out with months ago. Wouldn't that be inspiring to see that? So as the band comes up, I'm winding up, I promise. I'm not that far over. 
I'm going to get you to do something that I made the Thrive Kids do a few weeks ago for many weeks on end tensing. Just breathe. It's okay, I promise. We got the Thrive Kids to trace their hands on a piece of paper. Both hands. Yeah, I'm not going to make you actually do that, but I am going to make you look at your hands, right? And what we did was, on one hand, we got them to write the names of five people in each of the fingers. So one, two, three, four, five. Five people in their communities or in their spheres that they could reach out to love. The smelly kid at school, the next door neighbor, the kid in the soccer team, who doesn't matter who it is. And I wonder if you're willing to have five people. Look at your hands right now. Do you have five people? Do you have one? On the other hand, we got them to write five activities that they could do, five things, tangible things that they could do to show love. And I wonder if you look at your other hand now, do you have some ideas of what you could do? Maybe you have more than five. And what I'm going to get you to do, I'm going to get you to stand up for me. Yep, get up. And I'm going to get you with your hands to raise them in front of you. If you have one person, if you have 10, if you have 20, I don't care. Just put your hands up above you. And I'm going to pray over those hands. And I'm going to pray over them as a sign that we want God's blessing on these people and these actions because we want his mission to be accomplished here on earth. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you for each person that is represented here on any number of these fingers. I ask that you would bless them. I ask that you would help us to be love to these people, Jesus. Like you loved us first, I ask that you would help us to love them first. And on each of these actions, on the other hand, Lord God, I ask that you would place your special anointing on them. That they wouldn't be just the little things that we do, Lord God, but they would be your kingdom. That your kingdom would come. That people would come to know that they are loved because of how we treat them. And that we may live lives that honour and glorify you, Jesus, in everything that we do. Amen.